0: Welcome to Out of the Question, a podcast that looks behind some common questions and uncovers the question behind the question, while providing real solutions for a biblical world and life view. Your co-hosts are Pastor Charles Roberts and Andrea Schwartz, a teacher and mentor. Hello, this is Pastor Charles Roberts. Welcome to another edition of Out of the Question. Today's February 9th, 2018, and as always, I'm joined by my able co-host, Andrea Schwartz. How are you today, Andrea?
1: I'm good, and it's nice to be an able co host. Thank you for the compliment.
0: You are quite welcome. So, uh, today we have a very interesting question that is on the minds of a lot of people, Christian and non Christian alike, and that question is if God is in control of our world, then why do things seem to be getting worse and worse, as they certainly appear to be to most people? But out of that question or behind that question is another more important one, and that is is that a biblical way to look at this world? It's certainly possible that if we get our idea about what's happening in the world from the news media and from the newspapers or whatever the internet, whatever our sources are, we could certainly come away with the idea that things are getting worse and worse and have a rather pessimistic attitude about life. And that seems to be I think the general theme of our culture as a whole, there seems to be more negativism and pessimism. It uh, reminds me of somebody who, uh, who was very big on having a positive attitude about things, and he was talking about a fella he knew who tended to be just the opposite. And he said, I ran into this guy one day, and I noticed that he had a bad cough and a cold, it seemed like. And so I asked him, how long have you had that bad cold? And he said, well, in about uh, three weeks, it'll be a month. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's a pretty good example of the negativism and the pessimism that a lot of people have about life in general. The assessment of things going on in the world are, without fail, in, inevitably being made, the assessment, the, the decision about how things are going from a particular standpoint. We don't just come with a blank slate to look at ha- what things are happening in the world. And that raises, that gets to the second question, or the most important question, is is thinking that things are getting worse and worse no matter what the news media says. Is that a biblical way of looking at things? What do you think, Andrew?
1: Better or worse are adjectives of degree. So if you don't have a standard with which to compare those things, then it depends on what elevation you're looking at something. Five feet off the ground, and at 30,000 feet off the ground, things look a little different. So if, in fact, you're used to a particular way of living, And now a law changes or practices put into effect where you live and that cramps your style of living or where you're comfortable, then you would call that worse. However, if a change in law brings about something that you consider is valuable to you, then you'd call it better. So just on that alone, it's not a biblical orientation to say, things are getting worse and worse, or things are categorically better, unless you're measuring them with the Bible as the standard or the rule. Think of rule like ruler, how you measure things with a ruler. So the rule of law, the question behind why is everything getting so bad really begs the question, which we're calling the question behind the question, does God consider things getting worse and worse? If you look at things from a biblical lens, are things improving or are things deteriorating? And until you have that orientation point, you are very, very likely to be swayed by whatever propaganda you listen to.
0: Well, and we know uh, both right well that there is an entire branch of conservative Protestant Christian evangelicalism that has built into its understanding and uh, proclamation of Scripture. The very idea that as we move through time in history, the end point, uh, prior to the end point of history, things do get worse and worse. And it's one thing to get this information from the popular news media because, and we can can spend a few minutes talking about that later, but from this particular biblical perspective, which is generally known as dispensationalism, uh, this is God's plan. And of course, they can point to all sorts of things that would seem to support that, but that is an idea that is brought to scripture to begin with, the assumption that things get worse and worse, and then scripture is bent like a pretzel into the idea that this is in fact what God says, when in fact, from the very beginning of scripture, with the Bible as our guide and our foundation, the first proclamation of God's victory in history is in the very book of Genesis after the fall of man, in which he tells the man and the woman and all of humanity thereby that I will bring a redeemer out of your seed and he will crush the head of the deceiver of Satan. That is a statement of ultimate victory in time and in history.
1: Exactly. And let me add this, that if you're oriented to losing is winning, being punched in the nose means that I'm doing the right thing. The harder it is for me to advance any sort of biblical thinking in my family, in my workplace, in my community, then anybody who's particularly interested in punching you, not because they also subscribe to that world and life view, it's that the more they punch you, the more they can gain ground, and the happier you seem to be. But it really goes against our culture. I mean, we just had a Super Bowl played last week. How many people are excited that... Their team made it to the Super Bowl, and we're going to lose. It's it's great. You know what? We got there, but we're going to lose. That's not how people are oriented. So part of how God imprints on people aspects of his own character that are communicable, one of them is dominion. And dominion isn't a word that's associated with defeat.
0: No, it absolutely is not. That is the first thing that God said to the human race— when he told Adam to, and that's the word that is translated in English, just have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air. He put Adam and his wife into the garden to cultivate it, to make it flourish, to take dominion over it in that sense. And that statement was repeated thousands of years later by Jesus when he told his disciples that we too are to have dominion in his name by making the nations his disciples. So dominion is from the beginning and right through the end of Holy Scripture. This is the outlook of the Christian man or woman, is to have that attitude and that approach in all areas of life. But we are taught in our culture, both unfortunately in many of our churches and otherwise, that we should in fact retreat from having dominion, that things are in fact only getting worse and worse, and therefore, as uh, famous uh, radio evangelist J. Vernon McGee was quoted as saying, You don't polish brass on a sinking ship. And as Dr. Rush Dooney pointed out some years ago, that is a formula for irrelevance and defeat and certainly not dominion.
1: Exactly. Every week I work with a a missionary school in Puebla, Mexico. And at the end of our class, because it's an English class, where I'm helping the students learn to read English and ask questions in English, I always open it up for any questions you have for me. And one of the questions that came up had to do with whether or not I believed there was going to be a rapture, would be be raptured out. And so we started talking about it. And I pointed out that that mentality, even though it's not necessarily pleasant to think we lose, it also is associated with, well, we won't be here, so it really won't be our problem and the one young lady who asked me the question, she had this smile on her face, and the smile was like, tell me it's this way so I don't have to anticipate going through a hard time. And so I gave them an analogy. I said, if you knew your house was gonna be demolished in a week, would you spend a lot of time painting the walls? And they laughed and said, absolutely not. I said, or if you were on a boat and it was sinking, would you spend a lot of time washing the windows? And again, they laughed. Of course not. Well, that's really what the viewpoint that you have just brought up in terms of this dispensational view and the fact that God is going to have the influence of the church be so bad that it won't take any effect anywhere. And then what he'll do is he'll just take his people and he'll remove them. And then there's other things that go along with that. Well, If you have the view that your ship is sinking and if you have the view that your home is going to be demolished, your attitude is going to be much more like eat, drink, and be merry because it's not going to matter anyway, as opposed to holding back the forces that are at war with Jesus Christ.
0: Yes, and for those churches and Christians who don't embrace dispensationalism— They have a more biblical understanding about eschatology, and that means, of course, the end times and things toward the end. There's another problem that can cripple the idea of dominion and color their view of the world, and that is the influence of the idea that matter is evil and bad and spirit is good. This is a a dualistic way of thinking that entered into the Christian faith early on in its history, and... It's been the struggle, frankly, throughout the history of the church to maintain a biblical standard as opposed to that view that I just expounded. Now, why, why is that a problem? Well, simply because of this. If your view is that matter is evil, the world is, is not the place to be concerned with, then your focus is inward, living the victorious inner life of the spirit sort of thing. Another term we've used this before in some of our discussions is pietism. It, it leads to the same thing. And so that, too, can manifest a retreatist attitude. My main concern is my inner connection to God and the Spirit, and I'm not so concerned about the, the things of this world. When I think about things in the so-called secular world, well, I'm going to turn to secular sources to find out what I should do about family or marriage or education or health care or any number of things. And so that, too, pollutes the idea of a biblical view of the present and the future.
1: Exactly. And then, when you're oriented that way and you look at the world that way, then your sources of information will be things that agree with you. I think it's amazing whether you're talking about social media or cable channels or whatever it is, people tend to go for their information with a viewpoint that is compatible with theirs. So, if you are somebody who likes government welfare programs as a way in which to deal with poverty and deal with those who don't have as much as others, well, you're going to go to those news sources or those periodicals that basically come from your point of view, and the same is view with the other side. Well, they then become command words. And for the believer, the differentiation isn't between white and black, men and women, ethnicity, It should be between those who are in Christ and those who are not in Christ. And so our command word comes from God's word. And so from God's word, are things getting worse and worse? Or have things been steadily improving if you were looking at a graph, let's say, of the years since Christ's ascension into heaven?
0: Well, obviously, if looked at from... A broad perspective as opposed to a, I have my blinders on, don't bother me with the facts perspective. The expansion of God's kingdom, the expansion of the message of the gospel has reached astronomical proportion considering where it started. Now, the problem with a lot of folks that take this pessimistic attitude about things getting worse and worse is that they are being completely dominated and influenced by the news media who have a vested interest in promoting a negativistic and sensationalistic view of the world. And and let me just say, let me add this. We certainly do see a decline of church-going and solid biblical Christianity in these United States, but that doesn't mean it's always going to be that way. But more importantly, the question is, what about the rest of the Christian world? Because the United States is is only a small fraction of the Christian world. And when we look at places like South America, Africa, Asia, Asia, we find an explosion of the gospel, the message of Jesus. So that uh, is an important thing to keep in mind when we talk about worse and worse. Well, compared to what? And what are really the statistics about the expansion of the gospel in this world? It is a very optimistic picture that we see.
1: And if you think about the 20th century, the 20th century is what brought the advent of media coming right into the homes of people or When people wanted something else to do, being in a position to go and get entertained, when we talked about this a little bit last time, escape from the realities of life. And so, if you think that America is the greatest there is, after all, when an American baseball team wins, they have won the World Series. Now, it doesn't matter that the rest of the world doesn't participate, it's just American teams and maybe canadian team but the bottom line is we are so self-centered that the only way we can measure whether or not something's better or worse is how it relates to us
0: yes and i'd like to um, mention a thing uh, too that uh, i've touched on just briefly about how we get our perception of what is the world getting worse or is it getting better and as i mentioned For a vast majority of people, I don't know in terms of our listeners, maybe many of them too, we get our information about what's, quote, going on in the world, unquote, from the news media, and the news media is crafted in a very specific way to communicate very specific things. You know, I think that most people being honest and open and assuming the best of everything, they sit down in front of their television or in front of the internet, and they think that they're getting, quote, unquote, objective analysis of what went on in the world that day. When, in fact, in 30-minute, if you've got a 30-minute news broadcast or even an hour news broadcast, you're not getting anywhere near a report about even the most important things that went on in the world that day. Um, You're you're getting information that's been carefully crafted to get your attention, to keep your attention in five or six-minute sound bites, and then to hold your attention, hopefully, so you'll watch the TV commercial that comes in between. And almost without exception, the news is generally either based on sensationalistic things that happened, explosions, uh, violent actions, crimes, uh, or sentimental things that are equally unreal in terms of things that go on in the world. And people need to understand that with the advent, like you said, of the uh, news and entertainment coming into people's homes, people with a very cynical attitude about how to manipulate you and me have come up with very sophisticated ideas about how to influence your perception of things. I was listening to someone talking about this recently, and I don't know how many of our listeners will remember, but there used to be a popular brand of soap called ivory, ivory soap. You can still find it. But the popularity of that brand of soap was promoted when television commercials became uh, a thing. And it was decided that because ivory soap floats in the bathtub and other soaps sink to the bottom, that that made it a much better soap for you to buy. (laughs) When, as a matter of fact, the the fact that it floated had absolutely nothing to do with the quality of the soap, but millions of people went out and bought the stuff thinking it was better simply because a commercial told them that it floated. That's a good example of how people's perceptions about the world are influenced by advertising and by media, and and it has no basis in fact whatsoever that it was better simply because it floated.
1: That goes back to the fact that people don't know how to really think logically, even though they think they're incredibly rational. Because the first question would be, well, why is that so? And what are you basing it on? And have you tested it against other things? And is the substance in that soap that makes it float a good thing or a bad thing? But we want the thing that is promoted, getting the girl, if you're a guy, having cleaner, whiter clothes so that You're supposed to want to look better than your your children to look better than somebody else's children. And so we're steered along without realizing it, they're they're marionette strings attached to us. And too many people think that that's just as true as the word of God. And by making them equal, the Bible doesn't talk about ivory soap. (laughs) So I guess it doesn't have an opinion on how you clean your clothes.
0: No, but it certainly does have an opinion about uh, what is the starting point for how we analyze and understand what's going on in our world. And since the main thrust of our question is, what is it that we are using or to analyze or to understand what's going on in the world in terms of the future, in terms of whether things are getting worse or better or in between? It takes diligence and it takes an effort on the part of God's people to be aware that we do live in a world that we are in a struggle, in a battle, for which we have been assured of ultimate victory, but that doesn't mean that we don't have times and periods where we do have those struggles. I mean, if we use the Bible as our example, which we should, we can see in the vast history of God's redemptive program, there were times, say, in the older covenant when uh, the people of God faced horribly difficult times, and most of it, all of it was due to their disobedience, and these were signs of God's judgment. I think an example that I have used before, I don't know if I've used it on this broadcast, but a pristine example of this very thing is what happened after 9-11. Now, I don't think anybody would say that the disaster that took place on September 11, 2001 was a good thing. It was a horrible thing. It was a horrific thing. And I think that anybody looking at it from even a remotely Christian standpoint would say, I think somehow God is getting our attention by this sort of thing happening. And you would think at best, based on an understanding of scripture, Christians in in these United States would say, well, maybe we need to step back and ask what it is the Lord is trying to say to us. Maybe this is a time for us to repent. This is a time for us to go back to foundations and ask you know, Lord, what have we done that has brought this upon us? How can? But what happened? Nothing like that. People were parading around with flags and America strong, and these colors don't run. And there was all this hubris and arrogance and uh, bombacity. And uh, what religious types of things did take place? At least the ones that got the most publicity were ecumenical gatherings of Buddhists and Hindus and Muslims and Christians and all. You know, having joint ceremonies and that sort of thing. Just the opposite of what I think the Lord would have his people do in a circumstance like that. So yes, there are times when things appear to be getting worse, but rather than saying, is this the end time, is the rapture around the corner? What God wants us to do is say, is this an opportunity for us to repent? Is this a sign of God's judgment on us? Because we have failed to maintain the standard that he's called us to.
1: And from that point of view, then if people come to the conclusion Something really horrific just happened, and what could be the mind of God as to why? Well, if you know biblical history, you do know that there were periods of captivity. There were periods of persecution. And as the people of God returned to, to God's word, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and repent and turn from their wicked ways, then I'll heal their land. So 2017 saw a lot of natural disasters, what we call natural disasters. It's easy to blame nature because nature doesn't hold us to any standard. So these were divine disasters. These were orchestrated by the sovereign God because if they weren't, then he's not sovereign. And so what are our solutions? Are our solutions to privately help the people who have been affected or do we pass a new law? Do we tax people more? Are our solutions statist? Well, they will be statist if what input we're receiving is the pictures of the devastation and 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 tugging on your heartstrings. that says if you don't approve this or if you're not in for this, you just are an awful individual, and then the point is missed. But for those who do get it, for those who do see what's happening, and and Christian education is a great example. They see the devastation in the schools. They see people aren't being educated. They see that all sorts of agendas that are thoroughly ungodly are being foisted on people. And so some people just say, well, Jesus is coming back soon. And other people say, I'm going to get out of here and I'm going to teach my children from God's word. So in that regard, it depends on how you look at it. If the forces of evil, if those who are at war with God continue to have an influence in our academic system, then God is using it to wake other people up, and guided by the Holy Spirit, they leave. To me, that's a success. It's not a failure.
0: Yes, and I think that another problem along those lines, and we'll stay with education for a moment. Uh, We do recognize the influence of what used to be called secular humanism. It's still, I think, a valid phrase on education, but the failure to recognize that education is inevitably a religious activity. But the problem a lot of Christians have had, and and this goes right around to the issue of are things getting worse and worse, is to say, well, the the problem is these evil secular humanists. They're the the cause of all our problems. We, We just need to get them out of the schools but they haven't really addressed the issue behind the issue in this case, which is the government has no business educating your children whatsoever. And in the case of things getting worse and worse in the world, well, the state has a vested interest in keeping its citizens in fear because if you're constantly afraid, you're going to be constantly crying out to the state in in a godless frame of mind, which most people are in nowadays. You turn to the state for your protection. And so it's in the state's interest to make sure that you're afraid of North Korea, afraid of the Muslims, afraid of this, afraid of that, because that way you will be constantly relying on whatever the state says that it, it has to do to protect you, even if it means taking away your freedom, and that's exactly what we're looking at. So there, there are all these factors that are into the perception of the world supposedly getting worse and worse, and the question that I think that we ought to ask in, in light of that, in addition to is that a biblical perspective, is then Okay, then what ought godly families, what ought godly men and women, mothers and fathers doing in the light of that circumstance?
1: And to learn how to look at the issue behind the issue that's being presented. A really good case in point, I was able to hear a debate between two opposite sides of the aisle. One person was saying, why shouldn't we have parades for our military? we have parades for LGBT, we have parades for all sorts of things. And the other person was saying, oh, no, we don't need parades for our military. We should find out from military people what it is they really want. After all, we could save so much money if we weren't spending the money on parades. Well, the real issue is, should A, we have a viewpoint that says a strong military will save us, And so now we're advocating for parades to celebrate our military. Or should we be even having parades that are sponsored or funded by the state for lifestyles that we call lifestyles, but the Bible calls abominations? Sometimes the answer is neither one. Which side are you on? That goes back to what I said, covenant keeping, covenant breaking. Those who are in Christ and those who are not in Christ. That's the only valid distinction there is and when we get pulled into racial wars or gender wars or political wars, we're off the point. And I think aside from not getting your inform I mean, not making what information you think is important as to how many burglaries there were in your area or how many people were killed by gangs, is that how many good things are happening? How many people actually came together and helped a family that was in need? but never advertised it so they could get a pat on the back, that they did it in service to Jesus Christ and his mandates. So I really think that from the bottom up, we need to shift our focus. And for people who are in churches that like to make their analogies in terms of humanistic perspectives, the healthiest thing for them and their children would be to not get their teaching there.
0: And to that extent, then, that tells us one of several things that families, uh, husbands and wives need to be doing in uh, light of what appears to be things getting worse and worse, when in fact, our call is to have dominion and work towards a world that has embraced uh, the faith and has become disciples of Jesus. And that is to maintain that standard, even, the, even in the midst of the chaos and the uh, decline uh, in our culture. Because inevitably, it will fall apart. Anytime humanism is the basis of a culture, it doesn't last. But what does last is God's eternal word and God's promise that his kingdom will flourish in this world. And so this idea that you just outlined that people were saying about the the parades and the military, uh, that this is the source of our strength, that is exactly the attitude that the ancient Israelites were manifesting on various occasions that brought God's judgment against them. I've mentioned this before, read First Samuel and you'll see this very thing happening where they go with a man named Saul who basically was a good-looking guy who had sort of a personality that seemed to appeal to a lot of people. But other than that, he was a scoundrel. He was not a good guy. And the people simply gave themselves over to this man and uh, his ability to put together uh, an army and to defeat their foes. And with that, they decided that they were all happy and everything was wonderful. But then Samuel came along and said, wait a minute, just the opposite is the case, because God is very angry with you, because you have put your faith in a man, you have put your faith in military might and power, rather than in my sovereign will.
1: Yeah, so you have people today patting themselves on the back for what good Americans they are, and I believe tonight the Olympics begins, so we're going to celebrate— America. That's what all the promo is about. Celebrate America because someone can go down a snowy hill faster than someone else. And let's root for those people, regardless of what these people's moral and ethical views are, regardless of whether or not they are in Christ or not. And so that dualistic thinking that you were talking about is really playing out in the churches today, most churches I would say, in as much as it's okay to work on my own personal relationship with God, but since I'm not expecting anything to be better in the culture, since I'm not really expecting a generational vision for my family, then I can enjoy what the secular culture puts before me.
0: Andrea, it is time for us to declare, I think, that Christians need to make a decision. And to take the words from Joshua, to choose this day whom they will serve, I recognize that it can be upsetting to otherwise find good Christian folks, quote unquote, that there could possibly be some conflict between what God says in Holy Scripture and what the American government says. But the fact is, Holy Scripture does not promote one country over another. There's not one flag that should be flown atop another on the flagpole, according to Holy Scripture. And it's time for Christians to wake up and say, look, who is my God? Who am I really serving? To whom do I really want to pledge my allegiance, by the way? And I'm afraid that until Christians recognize that God alone is worthy of their allegiance and their ultimate commitment, and that what he has given to us in Scripture is what will save us, what will guide us. Which, what will lead to uh, a world of blessing that we can't even begin to imagine at this point. Until they realize that, we will continue to see these cycles of judgment until God brings about that advancement of his kingdom with, wh- with whomever he will. I mean, I mentioned earlier that the, the, the Christian message is flourishing in, among people who don't look like your typical Anglo-Saxon American. They don't speak English. But guess what? It didn't start out with people that look like that either, (laughs) so that's okay. We get this idea, this myopic view, that unless things are going well in America, God's work is standing still on the face of the earth. I I like to say, you know, some people, the average evangelical Christian's view of church history was that you had Jesus and the apostles, then you had nothing for thousands of years, and then you had Martin Luther, and then then you had Billy Graham, and that's it.
1: And let's just point something out. The Anglo-Saxon Protestants, at best, are a true minority in the United States if we're just going to go on skin color and their orientation. Because to be a Protestant would assume that you have a religious orientation that is based on the Reformation, but now it just means not Catholic. And right. so the real, the only demarcation that I think we should ever look at isn't denominational, isn't national, as you said. It's Are people in the communion of saints or not? That's the issue. Are are we dealing with brothers and sisters in Christ? Now, granted, this side of heaven, we're going to have irritations, and we're going to have frustrations, and we're going to have conflicts, but the benefit for the people of God is if they know God's word, they know how to remedy those situations. A husband and wife who've been together for decades who potentially irritate each other On a regular basis have a guideline as to how to preserve their marriage and deal with their difficulties and and the appropriateness of forgiveness for the things that are irritations rather than violations of God's law. But people need to realize that their lives are a confession. Whether or not they know it, they're confessing something. Either they're confessing Christ in all that they do And their Christian faith extends to every area of life, or they're confessing something else. And Jesus made it clear that if we don't confess him, then God will not receive us. And so that should cause everybody to pause and say, wow, if I'm all concerned about my relationship with God, is God going to judge me whether or not I'm ashamed of his gospel or I'm an ambassador for
0: his gospel. Yes, and let's not forget that in the days of Jesus, the thing that got him, among others, in trouble with the political and religious leaders of his day, and especially religious leaders who were also the civil leaders, he wanted to draw the circle a lot wider than they did. It was the Pharisees who had shut things down, had clammed things up, don't go in the way of the Gentiles, don't touch the Gentiles, don't have anything to do with those people, eat that, don't eat this, all of this, this kind of thing. It was Jesus who had brought back that original Garden of Eden vision of a world conquered by God's kingdom, whereas the leaders of the Jews at that time, they were contracting things, they were pulling things in, and this too comes into this uh, business because when we meet someone, it doesn't matter the color of their skin. It doesn't matter where they come from. What matters is what is their relationship to God. And well, what if they're not Christians? What, how are we supposed to treat them? Well, then we treat them just the way the Lord would treat them. God causes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. The main thing we should do is treat others, regardless of their background, as someone potentially whom God has set his love upon, and they need to be told about the message of the kingdom. So that's how victory is is won. Is that's how things move forward in this world with an orientation toward dominion and recognizing that God's plan is not contraction and retreat. Uh, it's forward movement. And it was R.J. Rushdooney who pointed out in uh, his comments on this passage concerning where Jesus said, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church, that in the literal meaning, that's sort of a bad translation. That typic- That literally means that the gates of hell will not be able to withstand the onslaught of the church. Whereas, unfortunately, many Christians have got it just backwards, that the church is just sort of cowering and holding up the walls with this onslaught, but it's supposed to be going in the other direction.
1: Yeah, and so it's much better to live life with a viewpoint of victory, but not, well, let's just drug ourselves and live in this fantasy world. I would dare say that if you don't see victory in your life, if you don't see the advancement personally, in your family, of the truth of Jesus Christ being proclaimed. Now, that doesn't mean that your children are all going to embrace it if you're parents. That doesn't mean that as you stand for righteousness, everybody around you says, wow, aren't they so brilliant? We'll just go along with them. What we don't want to do is eliminate the reality that the Holy Spirit is what spurs people on to obedience. But if we're not willing to speak in terms of the victory in not only eternity, but in time as well, then we're not being faithful to our calling because we weren't saved so that we could have a nice day. We were saved in terms of furthering the kingdom of God.
0: Yes. And that's exactly right. In terms of the, uh, things looking worse or worse. I think that the, the question that people ought to ask themselves apart from am I standing on scripture, am I looking at this, am I oriented from the message of holy scripture and looking at this world? But the other question is, if things are in fact quote unquote worse, is this not a sign of God's judgment against me, against my family, against my country, against my church, whatever it may be? Because this is another thing that has fallen away from the consciousness of many people who claim to be Christian, and that is that God brings his sanctions, he brings his judgments in history, in time, and in space. It's simply no coincidence, it's no haphazard thing that we, like you pointed out, in 2017 we had all of these natural disasters. Okay, if someone thinks it's foolish to look upon that as a divine intervention, well that right away tells us from the standpoint of which they are analyzing things. Uh, they're not looking at this from the standpoint of a biblical perspective, but from the humanistic perspective where the only meaning that can be invested in the world is what man gives to it, and man has no meaning in himself apart from God. So the key thing is, is that things that appear to be making life worse, disasters, evil things going on, these inevitably are signs of God's judgment, and we want to be about receiving his blessing and not his curse.
1: And finally, people often criticize that when you speak, or I speak, or other people speak in terms you just said of God's judgment, you're being so harsh. You're making God seem as though he's harsh. God is extremely harsh. One of the harshest things was Calvary, where God took the wrath, his righteous wrath, and poured it on Jesus Christ. Now, a lot of people thought on either side of the aisle, okay, we're done with this. We got rid of him. And others, now what are we going to do? He's gone. So what looked like worse and worse was really the salvation of God's elect. We have to be conscious that we don't view things from our fallible point of view, and we go to God's word and say, let him tell us what really is. Let him define success. And failure.
0: Andrea, is there a, a book or an article or anything that you would direct our listeners to as we close out today's program?
1: There is a really juicy volume that R.J. Rush Dooney wrote called Sovereignty. It's one of those books that you can read a chapter here or a chapter there and you can be bolstered in the fact that we have no business being upset about anything truly if we acknowledge God's sovereignty. And then he also has a book, a very small one, called God's Plan for Victory, where the various eschatological positions are analyzed from a biblical point of view. And for people who hold other than a victorious view of Christ's kingdom in time and eternity, that would be a really great one to read as well.
0: I will recommend uh, Thy Kingdom Come, studies in Daniel and Revelation, two books that are well-known to most people who study scripture, having dealing with future prophecies and things of that nature, but Rastuni's commentary on these two books is an excellent one that promotes the ideas that we've been discussing here. And also, the Journal of Christian Reconstruction, volume 15, winter 1998, is a volume devoted to eschatology. For those who want a more technical discussion of some of these things, some excellent articles in that particular issue of the Journal of Christian Reconstruction. So that about wraps up our program for the day. Anything else, Andrea, that you'd like to share with our listeners?
1: Yes. The final thing goes something like this. We are to be kingdom driven. We are supposed to say, how can what we do benefit the kingdom, but benefit us as well as we are participating in kingdom work? We should never reduce it down to if we don't do it, it won't get done. That's such a unsovereign viewpoint of God, that he needs us to accomplish his ends. So I look at it in terms of it's a privilege to be on God's team. It's a privilege to be in the family of God. And that's why our emphasis needs to be, how can we be more faithful in those things God has called us to
0: do? And with that, I absolutely agree. Thank you very much, Andrea. And we will see you and our listeners next time. Thanks for listening to Out of the Question. For more information on this and other topics, visit www.kingdomdrivenfamily.com.